This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, and even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You are listening to iFanboy's Talksplode with Jordan D. White. Hey everyone, it's Josh with iFanboy.com. Today we are here with Marvel editor Jordan D. White. 
Uh, Jordan works in the X-Men office, works on Star Wars comics, has done a lot of comics since he started at Marvel way back in 2007. And uh, I don't think I've ever actually had a active working editor from the big two on this show. Um, and so it was a good chance uh, to talk about sort of the process, how, how Jordan got there, uh, you know, the way that he looks at comics now. It's a good time. He's an uh, he's exuberant and positive dude, and uh, I really enjoy this talk. This is Josh Flanagan with iFanboy.com, and I am here with Marvel editor Jordan D. White. Hello there. Thank you for hey, having me. You're very welcome. Welcome to the show. I'll let everyone know, because I can't live with this, there was a false start, and we just started <laughs> over. They never would have known. I can't, I can't, I can't roll like that. Okay. They, like, cause there... I, they, then you and I are already sharing a secret. Sure, sure. Well, first of all, I hope that we can share secrets. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I just, you know. Uh, I don't know why I have to sell it. I'm, a, I'm a, the world's worst liar. I can't do well, it. One time on my podcast that, that I'm doing now, uh, we recorded like a whole half hour mm-hmm. that uh, – it just it didn't work. It didn't like his his side of the conversation recorded mm-hmm. and mine didn't. And so I was like, oh, I don't want us to have to fake the thing where we pretend we're not talking about this mm-hmm. for the for, for the second time. So instead, I literally just said to him, "Send me yours. I'll try to remember what I said and I'll say <clears throat> it again." <laughs> and I did it. And nice. I don't think anyone could tell. <laughs> so I it was I think it was right right when the pandemic started. I uh, had Kelly Thompson on for one of these, and we had a very long, super fun – it was a great conversation. And for some reason, I don't even remember why, it only recorded her side. There was a problem on my side. It did not record my change. I've done it since then. Um, And and I, like, waited two days, and I was like, so listen – (laughs) <laughs> and I thought about it. I thought about all the ways you could do it. I thought maybe mm-hmm. I could, you know, I was like, well, I could write or I could record what I said in there or whatever. Yeah, and yeah, we just it. We just waited a month and did it again. It was a different Aww. show, but it's all right. Okay. The second one yeah, was good right. too. It happens. I've, it's it, That's my worst nightmare. Especially like, it's one thing if you do it with like your co-host, your partners on the show or whatever, this is a screw up, you fix it. But God, having somebody come on and waste their time, it's just ugh, deadly. Um, <laughs> she was very cool about it. Anyway, um, so, I understand you were you were always a comics person. How like do you remember like when you started reading comics, or were they just ever present when you were a little kid? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't remember. Really, um, I I remember like always knowing about comics. I, I just I don't ever remember having that moment of oh, here's what it is. So, um, did your my parents? dad read comics? Okay, yeah. I mean, but I, he wasn't like an active comics reader when I was born. But he had been an active comics reader, so you know, mm-hmm. get, get, getting me a comic as a thing to to get to your for your kid to seem like a, a, a normal thing for him to do. So he would do it pretty regularly, and um, I so I remember having Spider-Man comics before mm-hmm. I remember anything, um, and I always loved them absolutely um, for my for almost my entire life. Like the time when I got out of comics the most would have been, you know, in college. As mm-hmm. as a lot of people do, because I was broke. But I had kind of the opposite experience of some people uh, in that when I got together with the woman who would become my wife, we got each other more into comics. Nice. Um, yeah, yeah, because she was reading different comics than I was. <laughs> and so she was like, have you ever tried 
Strangers in Paradise. And I was like, no, I've never read that. And so I started checking that out. And then once I started doing that, I was going to a comic book store. And then I was like, well, what what has happened in uh, Savage Dragon in the few years since I since I last read it? Let me find out. And, and I tracked down all of those. And then I started doing crazy things like buying giant lots of Spider-Man comics for the years that I, that I had missed. And uh, eventually I was where I was before I started working at Marvel, which was buying... I don't know, 75% of what Marvel and DC was putting out every month. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was buying – okay. Before I started working at Marvel, this is an embarrassing statistic and I'm going to say it and you can all – if you were alive at the time, you can really think about how stupid this was. But I was spending $100 a week on comics and this would have been in like 2006 – so that was a long time ago when $100 was a lot of money. <laughs> it's $400 a month or a lot of money a year. So like 50, 5800 or 4800 a year. Yeah, which the apartment I lived in at that time was, was $450 a month. Now, that was in Binghamton, New York, which is mm-hmm. kind of a, a, a hole. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's not expensive to live there. But even so – I was spending almost as much on comics as I was on rent. And I'm not I'm not, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you didn't think, well, at least these will be worth something someday. <laughs> no. No, yeah, I know because but here's I like why. That. Because I I've never been a collector in in that sense right. of like I'm collecting for value. I, I I in fact at some point I started realizing like that I like to think of myself as the end user of these things, that mm-hmm. I'm the one who gives them value because I want them to keep them. Right. Um, do you still have all of them? Do I still have all of them? No. Okay. But I still have a stupid number. Okay. And at this point, because I work for Marvel, I accumulate comics so quickly mm-hmm. that I have very shamefully not organized them or done sensible things with them for a long time. Like my comics room is full of just piles of comics right yeah. now. And I I dread fixing that. But well, I, they, I, I mean, have to at some point. I have I don't have a I don't have a stupid number. I went digital quite a long time ago and I for a while I was just giving boxes of them away because I was getting so many comps that I couldn't keep up with them. Mm-hmm. And and now there's enough that I just don't want to carry them to a different <laughs> place. Like I'm like as long as they're in the basement I don't have to worry about it. But if I have right. to sell them, give them away, do whatever, that's going to I'm going to be hurt for a week after I do it. Selling comics is so hard. Yes. Um that's, it's yeah. so much work. Um cuz cuz first of all, very few people want to buy just an unmarked lot. And if they do, you're going to get not get mm-hmm. a lot of money. Not that I do it for the money. Again, I don't. Okay. Yeah. Um but at, uh, so we had a um uh, uh uh what do you call it? A uh like a yard sale. Mm-hmm. There was a town-wide yard sale last summer. And uh, I was like, oh, you know what? It's whatever. It's not that much to sign up for it. I'll sign up for it. And I'll, and we got rid of a bunch of books and a bunch of this, that, and the other thing. And I said, I'm going to bring out a whole bunch of comics. And the trade paperbacks that I was getting rid of, um, and again, very cheaply. I wasn't charging sure. a lot of money. Like super cheaply, they moved pretty pretty well. But the actual comics, mm-hmm. which again, I had, I don't remember what I was suggesting to – spend on them mm-hmm. it was very low but the actual amount pe- people don't didn't want them right it's like it, that's the thing that's crazy about comics if you want them you want them and then you will pay a lot of money for the valuable ones or for the rare ones and whatnot you know and if you don't want them 
they are like trash. Yes. If, if someone tries to give you one, you're like, why would I take this? So I can throw it away? No. Like, don't. I don't want this. <laughs> so they they exist in my mind as somewhere between something I love and something I hate. Like, I, I know <laughs> they are essentially garbage. They're not technically really weird. I mean, like, in there somewhere is a first mile of Morales, whatever it is, apparently. Um, like, every once in a while I'll hear something's valuable. I'm like, oh, I have that. Um. But they're not really worth anything, and I don't really want them, and I'm not really going to look – but I can quite let go of them. And I mean they're I'm, worth something – not to mention yes. like the, the Miles Morales being worth something only matters if you sell it, like we said. Like, exactly. If, if you're not playing that collector's market and going, what's what, what's what's hot right now? Here we go. I've got it. And then you sell it in that minute, then it, it almost is still worthless in your collection. Yeah. Um, I mean and, and to get really dark, when we want to get really dark. I love it. Uh, sometimes I think – Oh my God, what am I burdening my family with when I die? <laughs> Which I is got, a lot. A oh, lot. 100%. And uh, there was, I mean, a long time ago where there was this thing like, well, someday my kids might yeah. want the, which is completely bullshit. It's they don't, like, they're surrounded by comics. They do not care. Yeah. About, you know, like, they'll read, they'll read, like, other comics that they get from school. They read a lot of, the, you know, the, the YA stuff, the scholastic stuff. They don't really care about the superhero comics or whatever. And most of what I have in book form is still not appropriate for them. Yeah. Like, I mean, my, my, my son likes uh, comics. Mm -hmm. So, again, I get the Marvel comps. And when I get the the kind of um, slightly smaller sized ones that, like, they usually put out to yeah. coincide with movies and whatnot, it's like, oh, a bunch of – like, we just got one of Nova of, of, of Sam Alexander. Look at this Nova collection. I give him all of those because I'm like, I've got the, the collections of the, the big versions. So, I'll, mm -hmm. here, these are yours. And he loves paging through those. So, it is still possible that someday he will want to check out my collection. Um Although, again, right now, my collection is a disaster. So. Right, exactly. Like, <laughs> what am I going to do with this? Although, again, although that said, okay, two, two things. First of all, I will say when I, when I got my dad's boxes of comics that were mm -hmm. sitting in my grandmother's attic, there weren't nearly the number I've got. It was like two boxes. of Right. Uh, and, not, and when I say boxes, I mean like, like freaking liquor like, boxes or something, not co boxes. proper yeah. comic boxes. Yeah, right. exactly. Um, Going through those was like a joy. Going through those was like, who knows what craziness is right. in here? And in fact, what craziness was in there, one of them was Giant Size Expo number one. So it was pretty amazing. Yes. Um, so maybe that will happen, but it's not worth banking well, the, on. The other thing was when you were a kid, though, there was because there was the two boxes and there was a lot of holes to fill in, there was a paucity of, yeah. of you know, like, well, God, there's other stuff out here. In your case, it's all there and it's homework. Yeah. Like, it's just, oh, there's everything here. Oh, no. But earlier you said that comics are that that they are to you like you know partially valuable and partially garbage. Yeah, um, that's the thing. Like if you if you, I don't want to say we're doing it wrong because things are what they are. But like mm -hmm. in a way, comics are garbage. That was the intent, right? Yeah. They are a disposable medium. That was the original thing with comics. You buy them, you read them, and then you're not supposed to keep. No more right. than like you know people put out. Well, they, they barely put out magazines nowadays. Right. But for the most part, when we hear about someone having a zillion copies of every Life magazine or something, you're like, oh, that's weird. Like, that's not a normal thing. That's strange because mm -hmm. I think of Life magazine as a thing you read and then you throw away or you leave on a train or something. Mm -hmm. um, that's why the comics from the 60s and, to the, and the 70s are valuable, right? right. It's because the everybody 30s, threw 30s. them away. 
Well, yeah. of course, to the 30s back then. But even then, like, you know, somebody asked us, they sent in a question that was like, like, what did people do if they wanted to collect comics in the 30s? And I was like, I don't know. I mean, they were probably everywhere and completely unorganized. Yeah, I mean, they probably, probably most of them didn't. And, like, right. and again, if they did, people would be like, oh, you're like a weirdo. Right. <laughs> Right. I mean, I think the, the, the thing about the, the trash part, I mean, the, the difference is that that's the object, like not the not the content, not the, well, not the thing. OK, hold on. OK. Though. All right. You think I know that's yeah. true. I don't think mm -hmm. that's true either, because, again, think back to I'm not going to say 100 percent, but everything I have heard about the old days of comics you know, the formidable, again, mm -hmm. go back to the 60s, the start of like proper Marvel, right? Right. Oh, I know, I know what you mean. They were all just doing a job, which is not to say they didn't care about the stories they were telling to some extent, because I'm sure they did. But again, they were just like, oh, I'm hired to do this freaking comic I'm going to do. Yes. Whereas they weren't comic fans. They weren't making comics because they were like, this medium means something and like we have to like preserve it. They were like, no, I'm a, I draw or I write and I have – to make money, so I guess this is what I'm doing. Um, whereas they got so popular that then the people who liked them were like, well, I want to do that. And mm -hmm. but you get to the point where you are now where the only people in comics are the ones who love it. Like there's yes. no reason to be doing it. But again, that's such a <laughs> warping of the medium. That's such a, a huge shift I from, love the, okay. from that. No, I'm just saying that's just, I mean that's pretty monumental. Like that, I love just... that you said it like that because for years I have always said that like comics people, comics professionals tend to be some of my favorite people because there's no reason for them to do comics yeah. other than they, ha they like they want to or they have to. And I don't mean they have to in terms of they need a job. Like they just that's the thing that they love to do the most because given the skills, given the opportunities, is all sorts of ways that they can make their lives easier and probably make more money. But they make absolutely, comics. absolutely. And to hear um, you say that, that is very validating for me because you know a lot of these people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I listen. I'm not going to sit here and say every single person working in comics could be making better money elsewhere because, first no. of all, some of them probably are making very good money, depending on where yes. they are. But it's not a which means it's that they're still making comics. Right. It's not a medium anybody goes into for the money. People go into it because they love it. And if they ever start right. making like good money in it, it's because they also are really good at it and or caught on popularity wise, right. et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it's it's I mean it's unfortunately again, it's it's funny because <laughs> Oh man. I'm get I'm this is scary to say, but what I was gonna say was when you look at the, the version from the 60s where the people who didn't – again, I don't want to say didn't care, right? They, they cared. Right. I'm sure Stan and Jack cared, right? But they were doing it because it was their job, right? That's when it was its most popular, right? That's when it was selling huh. to the most people. And now when it's every – only people who do it are the people who love it, it's, it only sells to the people who really love it. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of romantic in a way, but like the audience no, that I'm doing this to. That's, that's, no, that's not, that's not, that's correlation, but that's not causality. It doesn't mean that it's because right. the people who love it. I mean, a lot has changed since the 60s. There's sure. a lot of things we can point at. Video games right. being one. Oh, the, this, listen, I'm going to refocus us. So Please. you're a kid. You, you oh, take yeah. your time Back off. To that. <laughs> what, what, 
so you weren't you weren't uh, when did you decide you know like uh, uh, going between a medium that i really like and has been on part of your life forever to i want to go work in that medium did you intend to do that did you intend to do something else uh a little bit of both a little bit of both i mean uh, no matter what i was doing with my time to make money i was trying to do something creative at the same time so mm-hmm. uh after i finished undergrad i went to grad school and during grad school i was what working was undergrad for you undergrad like, you I, english <laughs> okay english um did you I, have I a plan think, or you're just like no. i'll just do english for now okay yeah, not really. So I think I, I, there was a year between undergrad and grad school. And in that year, I was doing substitute teaching. So I was like, probably going to become a teacher. And in fact, I did, when I went to grad school, it was a, a program where you get an MAT in teaching. Uh, and I was going to go for teaching English at the middle or high school level. But at the same time as I did that, it was like, if also, if you take an extra like semester, you can finish your English master's as well. And so I did that at the same time. But during all of that, I was... You know, working crappy jobs and and also going, but I uh, but I need to be doing something creative as well. Um, right. What does so, that mean to you? Well, various things at different times. At one point uh, in two thousand and one, in fact, I think it was, it, it would have been at the beginning of November in two thousand and one. Um, I was on. I, I was still st- again. I was a huge comics fan again at this point, and I was on. Uh, the Finn Addicts Online, which was a message board for Eric Larson, Savage Dragon fans. <laughs> um, and I don't remember who, but one of the people there was like, I'm just going to start a challenge for November that I'm just going to keep it real simple. Like every once a week, I'm going to put up a page of a webcomic. And I was like, I can do that. Uh, like, that's not much, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I draw. I don't draw that great, but I draw. And so I can do a page of a comic a week. And I started doing that and I kept doing it for a long time. And uh, I mean, it's not like it became popular or anything, but right. I loved doing it. I made a, a horror comic called One Night Stand, which was very much based on uh, the fact that I had just watched all of the all of the Friday the 13th movies. And I was so mad about how bad I thought the eighth one was. <laughs> I was so mad at how lousy it was that I was like, this is not hard, guys. I'm just going to do it myself. <laughs> and so I started making this comic, which is not about Jason, but it's like, it might as well be. It's 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 about a giant bulky killer who's killing people. But I, ha- but I had some fun with it. I did it a little different and blah, 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 blah. I had a really good time. And I did that for a long time, for a bunch of pages. And eventually one page a week didn't, was not enough. I was like, I can do way more than that. And so I was doing mm-hmm. that. I went through that comic. I did a couple more comics. At certain points, I was writing stuff. At certain points, I was doing stuff. And then in right towards the end of my teaching degree, in fact, I think I started my radio show, a radio show while I was doing my student teaching and kind of learning that while I could be a teacher, it, I didn't want to. Like I was, I would look Fair. at the other teachers around me going like, teachers, mostly um, the other student teachers, but like the Mm -hmm. other teachers in general going like, I feel like they love this and I Mm -hmm. don't love it. Like, I'm like, I guess I could do this. (laughs) Um, And so I started this radio show and it was a free format radio station. So we could do whatever we wanted. Was it, was it an internet radio station or was it? No, it was, it was college, college and community. So it was 
on the college, but community members could could be part of it as well, and a lot of them did. Got it. So like public um, access for radio? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so I had a show. I became a DJ, got my own show, and I was like, well, I'm going to do like radio – storytelling i'm gonna do radio i want to say radio dramas but they weren't like dramas like radio serials um and so i started writing those and that became a huge thing for me that was like something i spent so much of my time on uh i would there would i would write some and then eventually and i would have to get people to act in them i I got people other people to co-write them with me or like i would write an episode then they would write an episode then they would write an episode etc etc and i would like Talked, but it was my show, so I'd be like, "Oh, this part doesn't work," and stuff. And so I was like, you know, editing them. Who were you? And, who um, were you working with? Like just just friends, just of friends, yours? just okay. friends, and other radio station members. Okay, but it was a pretty big crew of folks that I had to wrangle to like play all these characters and like get them all together to do recording sessions, and then I would edit them audio editing wise every week in order to make the deadline of my show. And, and we're talking about when this is two thousand. The digital editing, start that? like you were yeah, able to yeah. just do it at home. Okay. Oh yeah, it was all digital. Um, so this was this was right. I, up I asked until that I... because I went to school in the late '90s for I have a television and radio degree, and oh. we were like the last people to use analog shit. And oh, like no. the year after we left, everybody just got laptops and did everything. And I was like, oh man. Yeah, I was using Cool Edit Pro. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I haven't thought of that in a long time, but I absolutely remember that. And in fact, I I still have it on my computer because <laughs> I have not kept up with the technology. Huh? So when I if I ever do like a song, I mostly use well either hey. Cool Edit or it became Adobe Audition. I think I I think the version I have oh. now is an Adobe Audition version. We're, we've been using Audacity since we started this a thousand years ago. It's updated wise. a little, but I know what it does. Um, so, so doing that. So when was that? Uh, the radio show started. Oh gosh, I mean, I did it right up until I moved to New York in two thousand and seven into New York City. So where I were you prior it, to that? I was in Binghamton, New York. So I was oh, upstate. Okay. Um, like I said, a very cheap place to live. <laughs> That's that makes sense. You did say you did say it earlier. For some reason, when you said Binghamton, I pictured just Hudson Valley, but that, that makes more sense. That's fine. Let me see. I started my radio show in – oh, gosh. So I'm, I'm trying to look it up on the internet. Uh, I started doing the audio – the edited episodes of sh- uh, radio shows in 2005. So I did it for two solid years um, and recorded a ton of episodes of shows. And the, this is the thing. That's all the play. That's where I really honed all the skills that I use as an editor. Because um, really? like I said, it was doing stories, working with other people to get their stories together – Working with a crew of folks to like make something happen on a deadline, uh, and then getting it done for that deadline. Um, that like so so I went from that, and then what happened then was uh, when I I had finished my degrees a year before, and I was spent the rest of my I spent a year just doing the radio shows and uh, working at a comic shop while my wife was finishing up pre med stuff, and then she was going to med school, and she said, "Where do you want me to move?" Where do you want me to go to med school so that we can move there so you can, you know, get a job? And I said, well, ideal situation would be New York City so I could try to work in comics. And she said, okay. And so that's what happened. So we moved to New York City and I applied and had a job. It always takes longer than it should mm-hmm. to get a job, but uh, pretty quickly. Uh, Did I moved you- in July and I had the job in September. 
what was the point where you decided, you know, where you, you were just wanted to do something creative, you were doing the show, when did you, or what was the catalyst for saying, oh, I do want to go work in comics? Well, again, for, for at that point, probably, you know, <laughs> three or four years, I had been mm-hmm. spending that ridiculous amount of money on comics. Right. And while we never said, uh, this is going to be worth something, there was a time when, again, we would talk about me wanting to work in comics. And once Again, once I got past the teacher part of it, uh, and it sort of became, well, these these have value, though, mm-hmm. because they're, they're what I want to do. Like So right. like reading all these comics, spending all this money on comics maybe was useful and was a good thing. <laughs> what? <laughs> maybe. What was your – idea when you say work in comics how did you picture that like what did you want to do i mean probably at that point i really wanted to be writing comics but i uh i had no idea how to start doing that other than again i was i was writing comics that i drew myself very poorly um but beyond that i was just kind of like well uh I, i don't know i i would i love comics enough that i would do anything involved in them and mm-hmm. so at that moment, like if Marvel had said, like, we'll hire you, but, you know, it's for a janitor job, I probably sure. would have been like, yeah, oh, yeah, of course. I'll clean around comics. That sounds terrific. Um, in fact, I actually applied for a job. Uh, so uh, the comic shop I worked at was the same comic book shop that Chris Giarusso worked at. Um, so mm-hmm. I had met him a couple times when he would come back to, to Binghamton to say hi and stuff because he was, you know, drawing a bunch of comic stuff. And he had worked at Marvel in the bullpen. And he was like, I, I happen to know the bullpen is hiring. Would you like to apply for a job there? And I went, oh, yeah, absolutely. And so uh, the first uh, uh, job I applied for at Marvel was uh, – it was like a like – a, like a data management, not maybe not even data management. It was like going through because that was the, the era when we went from a lot of like zip disks and stuff like that to actually mm-hmm. having storage space on computers uh, to store things. And so it was like Marvel was like, we have all of this physical media. We need to like figure out what's on it and archive it somewhere. And we're looking for someone to do that. And I so I went in for that job and I interviewed with uh, Dan Carr, who ran the bullpen for many years. And he asked, why do you want the job? And I was like, I love comics, blah, blah, blah. And I, but I said to him, I mean, listen, I, I probably would really rather work in editorial. But I thought, like, you know, I could start here and see what happens. And he was like, listen, then you don't want this job. Because for the most part, people don't move over. Like, if you're going to – if you want right. editorial, you want to apply to editorial. And I went, oh, OK. Then I'll, I'll wait. Um, and by, so I guess I, now that I've said that, by that point, I had already decided I really wanted to work in editorial. But I was desperate. Um, yeah, and no, I didn't I know I would get the job. <laughs> when I applied for the job at Marvel, the the other job that I got, the only other, I, I applied to Marvel and I applied to a bunch of other publishing jobs just in book publishing. Right? And you focused on Marvel in comics. I did, but also that's just what was open. Like if DC right. had an opening at that time, I absolutely would have applied. Mar- Marvel has always been my, my actual first love of comics. I, mm-hmm. I like Marvel way more than DC, but, <laughs> but I absolutely would have jumped at a job at DC if they sure. had one. Um, so I applied at Marvel and I applied to some other publishing. The only other job that I got a, uh, like a, a I want to say callback. Call? Yeah. Like the only thing I think I got, I got like called back for was overnight proofreading of business press releases. <laughs> so if I hadn't gotten my dream job, 
I would have been doing such a miserable, awful job. <laughs> and there's no way that you don't know people in comics who wanted to get into comics and are working in some tangential part of it and want to kill themselves. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's true. Um, I mean, yeah, no, listen, I got super lucky. And I, like I said, I, I so I the reason they, they had the position was it was do you remember Dable Brothers? Kind of. They were publishing. D- Dable Brothers was, was a publishing outfit that did that was publishing a bunch of uh, adaptations of like sci-fi and horror books. Anita Blake was was one they started. Uh, they actually did the Hedge Knight. George R. R. Martin ones before anybody cared about the George R. R. Martin books. Well, that, that's not true, but you know what I mean. In the, yes. In the way they do now. Um, and Knew at some about point, them. <laughs> they made, yes. At some point, they made a deal with Marvel, and there was like, we're going to make the comics, and then Marvel's going to distribute them. And then something happened, and I don't know what it was because I wasn't at Marvel at the time. But then whatever happened, Dave Brothers ended up being out of the equation, and it was just Marvel is now doing these books. And my boss at the, who hired me, uh, Mark Paniccia, was the one who was going to be doing all those books, and he only had one assistant and it was too much work. So they that's what they hired me to do. So one of the first books, not literally the first book with my name on it, but one of the first books was Anita Blake. Um, so I worked on a bunch of that stuff at the beginning, as well as Marvel Adventure Spider-Man. The actual first book that had my name on it was Exiles number 99 by Chris Claremont. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know you want to go work in comics you you find a way to get a, a foothold there what do you actually know about how comics are made at this point you know it it, it sounds like you sort of just showed up at the door and like i want to do this but like but and the, the i mean yeah, the internet was there it was it was not as robust maybe as now but like like what did you know when you started well i didn't know i mean i didn't know like the detailed step-by-step uh of how a marvel makes a comic and I know that's a very common thing. Like I, I talk about – like the most common question I get asked when people actually want to talk to me about stuff is what does an editor do? <laughs> and so I know like most people don't really know what an editor does day to day and, and how they, they make comics. Yeah. Oh, that's very true as well. Um, that said, like I said, I, I physically made my own comics. Not – again, right. I didn't publish them, right? But I – physically made them. So I know I knew like the steps that had to be gone through and vaguely the order they needed to go in. Sure. Um and and also like I said, doing that that radio series, those radio series um was just such a huge thing. Like it was a production of something. Uh I think that that is probably the thing that made me most appealing because it showed that I had done things and I could mm-hmm. get things done again on a on a deadline with a crew of folks. Um, I mean, that's one thing I think people uh, people don't put enough stock in is getting things done right. Like so, like mm-hmm. let me give an example. Right, um, I'll, I'll give the example of writers. A lot of people want to be a writer, right? Especially for comics. They want to write comics. Mm -hmm. And one of their main reasons is – one of the things that they think is, well, I I want to be a writer because I have ideas. I have story ideas that are really good. Um, And that's true. But the the real truth is that everybody has story ideas that are really good. Uh, Yes, some people's are better than others, of course. I'm not trying to denigrate that. But 
that's not what writers are for, or that's not how we hire writers. We don't hire writers because we're like, they had the idea. We have to actually look at go, but do they write things? <laughs> it's the actual writing of things down and getting a, a, a story done and being able to take an idea and turn it into a product. A, a product is a gross word, but you know what I mean, into a thing people can read. Um, that matters. So to be someone who is like, yeah, yeah, you should have me help you make comics because I love comics. Well, great. But you should have me help you make comics because, look, I made a bunch of my own comics and I've done this like pretty complicated thing of making these radio shows and like blah, blah, blah. I think that is a lot more appealing to people. So whenever I talk to people who want to be an editor or a writer or an artist, the thing I always tell them is find a way to just do stuff. Like you, even if you can't make a comic, you can do something like mm-hmm. – be productive and show that you can produce. Uh, and that's going to make you valuable. If you can enjoy doing the thing, that should be more important than where you do it. Like, don't make working for Marvel your own end goal. Make making comics your end goal, and then you will find a way to do it. Do you think that you would have had the same opportunity to get into the kind of job you got into today as opposed to then? Interesting. If I was just coming off of I just, grad school like, right now. I mean, I just I think about the idea that and, and I know that if you want to make comic if you want to make comics and you gotta make comics, and I think that makes sense, but one of the differences now is that everybody can have a platform. You can make your comics, you can put them up, and you you know, you did that to a certain extent, but yeah. it was still less so then. Now I feel like everybody's just gen it's it like there's so much to sort of go through. Well, I, honestly, I don't know. Like, I, I, there's a part of me that wonders if I would have, uh, if I would have not. I don't want to say bothered because that makes it sound like Marvel's doesn't matter. I, oh, I always love it. But if I wouldn't have bothered, like, if I would have gone, like, no, I'm just making my own comics now. Like, that's enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm here. I am. You know, we're, again, I'm not going to sit here and go because I'd be so successful. Mm-hmm. But if I would just be like. I make a thing on Webtoons now and I'm really happy with it and like I'm going to keep doing that and I don't know. Well, there's a difference between doing that as your side hustle or versus your living. I mean, for it, sure, for sure. But I was ne- but that's again, I was never I never went into comics going I'm in it for the money. And again, good. Because especially at the beginning, you don't make any. No, I don't. I, I don't. I mean, I, I don't think anybody goes into comics as saying I, I'm going to make big money. But I think there's a certain point where you're like, well, I do need to make some sort of a living, even what it is. It's true. It's true. So that's different than you know, like inst- instead of work a job I tolerate or don't like, so that then I can use my remaining hours to make this other thing just for the love of it, which is a beautiful notion. But there's a certain point. You know, certainly with children or whatever, where you go, well, I, I can't, I can't keep this up. It's it, honestly, you're right, and it's very scary, like to think about because uh, even to do, even to apply to Marvel and to really put my faith in that, and I mean, I didn't put faith in it. I didn't. It's not like I knew I was going to make it. Um, but to move to New York without that solid of a plan and be like, but my goal is that, like, that's kind of a, <laughs> it's a bravery that I don't know if I would do. At this point, I mean, I mean, certainly not at this point in my life. It's like a said, really a useful ignorance right, that you right. must have had at the time. <laughs> right. It's frightening. It's frightening. Right. Because, if, again, if that didn't work out, I, my second option was uh, the worst job. Well, maybe not the worst job I've ever had. For you. Uh, 
I, I well, I did phone collections for a few years when I was oh, doing, when I was God. making those comics. Yeah, the comics that I drew, I drew while I was on the phone with people asking them to, them to pay their phone bills. So Ugh. that was a pretty awful job, but I, I did. Content. I was able to draw comics during it. Yeah. So there you go. That's crazy. <laughs> I don't think I could do that. That's amazing. It sucked. It's but, but it didn't use any brain power. That's right. the thing about it. It was like this is what you're supposed to say. So like I'd be drawing a comic and then I'd be like, "Hello, I'm calling from blah blah blah. Uh, I, I see that you have." And then I have to look up in order to like see the amount of money. And I'd be mm-hmm. like, "I see that you have." $27.35 on your account. Would you like to make a payment today? And if they do, then I have to like put down my pen in order to do the payment. And if they don't, which mostly they didn't, <laughs> I would be just have a list of things I'm supposed to say to them and get them to agree to or whatever. I don't know. Did you, were you able to, this is a diversion, were you able to disassociate yourself? Because I would feel like there's just too much conflict in a day for me to be able to handle. Well, it, I, you know, they didn't mostly yell at me, you know, uh-huh. very rarely were they yelling. They, they mostly were, just saying no or like, you know, lying about who they were or whatever. Right. Or, um, so, so then mostly it wasn't people yelling. It was people just hanging up or saying no or, mm-hmm. or promising or they didn't want to lose their phone service. So they'd be going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm go- totally going to, but not today. Or I sent it out yesterday or all sorts of things like right. that. Um, but I hated it. I hated the job because, well, I hated the job because it, it was, a. Uh, it was it, it was a it was a system that that didn't care about people at all. Sure. Um, it was a, it was it was it was people you know people would have sob stories about like no but here's why and it, and like here's what what why I couldn't pay it and I had no power to do anything about it. It was like no th- listen this is a system and it's a system that doesn't care. Like I can't do anything. No one can do anything. It's heartbreaking. Uh, yes. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> and in fact, when I quit that job. It's kind of ironic because at the time when I quit that job, I thought I was going to be a teacher, right? Mm -hmm. So I quit that job thinking this is the last time I'm ever going to work for a corporation. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why you don't write things down. (laughs) Yeah. Turns out out I was wrong. Yeah. It's a bit of a corporation that you're working for. (laughs) Um, When – so all right. So – you you jump forward. You 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 get your foot in the door at 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 Marvel. What's it like? Is it is it is it what you wanted? Did it take you too long to get somewhere? Where you where you I mean? What did you learn about the industry that you had no idea about? Marvel is uh, Marvel is is great and 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 complicated and a weird place. Um, again, it's it's part of you know at this point one of the biggest corporations in the world. At the time, it was not right, but kind of it hasn't changed much really in how it operates i mean there are parts that have changed but it hasn't changed much and the whole time it kind of has always operated like a much smaller company than it is mm-hmm. like it's always kind of has a bit of a of a scrappy how are we going to make this work somehow we'll make it we'll pull it out at the last second kind of attitude inside of it mm-hmm. um where yeah, we're just we're all making these things happen by the skin of our teeth and uh, and really loving it. Um, that said, pretty much everybody who comes into Marvel as an assistant editor, I think, um, really f- feels like they know how everything works pretty quickly and is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so there were definitely parts when I was very when I was a very young editor going like oh, like this isn't. 
this isn't right. Why doesn't anybody listen to me? Why aren't, why don't they think I'm the most brilliant person? And, you know, I was just young and stupid. And, uh, you know, over time you actually learn how things work much better. And I don't know, I guess maybe I'm still wrong to this day, but I feel like I understand it a lot better. I should hope. <laughs> 15 years in, I feel like I get it. What do you? One of the things I'd actually been thinking about is that, um, you know, when you started, it uh, was a pre-Marvel Studios world. Yeah. Iron Man was being worked on. Iron Man comes out. Not everything changes right away, but that is the the turning point. You know, where the the product get. I said product. It's so hard <laughs> not to say these words that I find like aesthetically objectionable. Content product. Yes. You know, whatever. <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna push through it. Um We're proud of our content. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the content I make every day, I'm like super proud of it. So Yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> Although that makes it sound like if I say it like that, I feel like it sounds like I do like adult entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making content today. Or it just means like you you just like put short videos of butts on the internet. That's just <laughs> I guess that's adult, but not really. Everyone likes butts. Uh, do things materially change in, in any way when when the world starts to notice these characters in a way that they hadn't before? Um, you know, it's funny because the answer is like yes and no. It, they changed in the world, but not in Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, because first of all, obviously, all of us are talking about these characters all the time, nonstop anyway. Right. But, um, but it is. But again, it is strange because, like you're saying, yeah, when I. When I started at Marvel, the characters that we worked on were just comic book characters. I mean, there, there were cartoon shows and there were X-Men movies, I guess, right? But, but all like, those things were ancillary. Right, exactly. And now exactly. Now yeah. they are the dominant form yeah. of entertainment in the world. Now that, again, that doesn't exactly extend to the comics. Like, the comics still have all those heroes in them. But it's not like, mm-hmm. it's not like because Marvel are the most popular movies in the world that comic sales – are through the roof or anything like it's still a relatively similar size i don't know if that's true listen i don't have the exact figures i I would assume it's relatively the same size as it was before all that Um, right because because people liking to watch superheroes doesn't mean they want to read about them um and it's you know how it is with comics it's a constant cycle hopefully we're getting new readers as we lose older readers and right people do grow out of comics or or just stop reading them for whatever reason So, so I don't, I don't feel like it has shifted, like it, it's shifted the way we think about certain characters, but mm-hmm. only not, not usually in like a corporate mandate kind of way of like, you guys have to do this. It's much more like, oh, they did something really neat with this character in the movie. And now millions of people have seen that. <laughs> so like, <laughs> do we want to play with that? Maybe we do. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's, maybe that's a good way to change that character in comics too. Um, did things change in terms of uh, the amount or the types of people who were trying to work in com- like get work in comics or like like the creators, the pitches, <clears throat> things that you that you got? Uh, yeah, I do think that's true. I do think that that well, I, I again, this is one of those one another one of those ones where I'm not sure the 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 cause, uh-huh. but over the time, I would say that. My experience with people trying to get work in comics is that we have a much broader and more diverse pool of people trying to mm-hmm. get into it now. Now, again, I don't know if that's because of the the the, 
the movie making things more popular or if it's just because <laughs> we started thinking about things differently and looking mm -hmm. at things differently. Um, either one could be or, or and or I have. <laughs> um, either one could be the case. But I like I feel like I see a much like I said, a much more diverse uh, group of people trying to get in now. And uh, it's really nice because it does bring new perspectives on things that I wasn't seeing before, mm -hmm. um, which is cool. On the other hand, when we post job postings for editors at Marvel, um, sometimes we get a decent number of people who want to edit films. <laughs> <laughs> and if you did want to edit films, you should know better. <laughs> so talk to me about sort of your progression in understanding how comics are made and sort of the I guess the art form I, one of the things I'm always interested in is the sort of leap that people make from being readers to being you know the people who make comics who really understand them at a level that maybe you didn't before the things that you see that like a professional does really well I always tend to think of that like I'll see storytelling in certain pages I go oh that that person is a great storyteller you know, was there anything that sort of opened your eyes about how what make a, what made a comic successful or what didn't? I'm I'm reaching for sort of different examples, but well, this, did you this feel like this you had like a dawning of awakening on on the art form? This isn't exactly what you're talking about. That's fine. It wasn't a good question, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it, it is a similar thing, and it, it connects to that shift from, especially from being a reader to someone who is like working on making stories. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> as a comics fan, uh, Spider-Man was always my biggest uh, uh, love right. of, uh, as a comic. And I, uh, I was growing up, I was a teenager in the early 90s. I, 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 was, I turned 10 at the end of 89. So I was 10 for most of 1990 and et cetera, 11, 12, 13. So that's helpful. The Just looking yes, back, it's it was very nice. Um, the so, but but as a result, like so, the like image, the early image or pre-image era of of stuff where like uh, Todd and then Eric Larson were drawing Spider-Man and drawing his like extremely hot wife who was a mm -hmm. supermodel who like has sex with him to cheer him up when he's having a bad day and stuff like that and wears lingerie and things like that just around the house, like that um, era of Spider-Man was when I was like totally the biggest reader you know i was so mm -hmm. i was like super committed to their relationship and when marvel was working so hard in the like jms era or before the jms era really to break them up uh i was really upset about it uh, i was like this sucks <laughs> like th this is bullshit you know like like all the all the stuff that comic book fans say like sure. i was i was so aggravated about it and i don't remember exactly when this happened but it was, again, another internet message board. Uh, Kurt Busick was talking about the marriage and why it was a bad idea. And this was like a really revelatory thing to me because, like I said, emotionally and as a reader, I was like, no, this is an important marriage and I care about their relationship and I want them to be happy because that <laughs> makes me happy. Um, but him talking about why it was bad for for people making stories, uh, 
was like a real turning point for me because I it convinced me. It totally convinced me. Even though I love their marriage and want them to be happy as human beings, which they're not, <clears throat> I all of a sudden was like, no, I, I understand now. It is, it is detrimental to the story of Spider-Man and to the ability of people to tell the best Spider-Man stories possible that he is married to Mary Jane. Um, and... And and also like all the reasons why it's really hard to to undo that, but like for first and foremost, it was a bad idea in the first place and shouldn't have happened. And that is a thing. So that that was a like I said, I think I think of that as a really big moment. That was pretty. I would I think that would have been in the like couple of years before I started at Marvel when I was making all these things for myself, um, mm-hmm. and when I was starting to really think about how stories work and why, and so. To this day, like one of the things that I do get hung up on in other stories, most of the time I can still watch TV shows and read comics and all these things as a mm-hmm. um, just person who likes them without worrying too much about it. But sometimes they will hit on the thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As a consumer, <laughs> as a good consumer. Um, but once in a while I will get hung up on like – what the choices like why would that be the choice that they made like in to take the the whole thing in that direction or to change it in that way or whatnot like those are the thing the bit those big kind of decisions are the ones that would get me that i do still sometimes get hung up on um and thinking about them not as a as a viewer but as a like isn't that going to make your life harder as a storyteller and like is that going to lead to a worse story next time because you've you've mm-hmm. solved the ongoing problem of your series, or you've put together the two romantic people who the entire thing was about keeping apart, right? And I don't know. Uh, that was anyway. I, the point was that that Kurt Busiek thing was a big uh, moment for me to shift from being a reader to being someone who makes comics. He's really stories great from the other side. Things. He is. He is. Those sort of observations. I mean, even like his his essays in the back of like Astro City and stuff would always be so illuminating. Uh, in that way, and you said his name the way that I know to say his name, and so I was like, "All right, I got it right." I actually I think asked that's him right. <laughs> no, it is. I asked him because, okay, like, when we first started doing like podcasts and video shows, nobody knew how to say anyone's <laughs> name, mm-hmm, so we mm-hmm. learned fairly quickly to ask them before we started doing everything. Because music, like music, and I was like, "Great!" It's always stuck with me, and I think no one ever says it right. So when you did, I was a little thrilled. Um, <laughs> So what does it uh, look like for you when you go from being, I guess, an assistant editor to being a person who is is much more of a gatekeeper of these stories? I mean, you're talking about your, you know, affinity for Spider-Man from a sort of, you know, your heart level as a, as a reader, mm-hmm. as a fan. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you sort of get keys to the sort of the next level of stuff, um, what is that like for you? Uh, it's It's... It's tough because – so as an editor, one of the things you have to do is kind of – you have to walk in both worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be simultaneously approaching things on a creative side and on the business side. You have to be working – you have to be the, a collaborator and friend to the creators to help them achieve their creative ends, but also – be responsible to the business and go like, okay, but you have to do it on time and you have to do this, that, and the other thing. And and I have to look out for the longevity of this property mm-hmm. long term. And sometimes that can be tough to go, 
how do you decide between the best thing for this story and the best thing for this series or perhaps even beyond series like you know extremely huge property yes (laughs) again but and that's a place where probably it's right to use the like kind of like word because it's like that's what i'm saying like you have to you have to touch on that piece of it um and that can be difficult um you know one of the places that that pops up i'll just give an example right is children uh in by which i mean characters having children right right um it's such a natural thing to write about, right? Uh, time passes, romance happens, people have children. And the longer a creator is on a character, like the more they might be willing, wanting, interested in doing that. Or, or, and, or they're getting to that point in their lives, you know, and they want to write about that. And <laughs> it's a totally natural thing and it can lead to some great stories. But in Marvel Comics, it can also lead to some of the worst stories in the world because you, mm-hmm. it's going to be bad for that character long-term to have a baby. Almost across the board. There are a few exceptions. The Fantastic Mm -hmm. Four got away with it because it was kind of already a book about a family, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think, that is my belief, that that is why they were able to kind of go, so here's a little bit more of the family, and yeah, so now Sue is, Sue was always the mother of this this book, and now she's like literally gonna have a baby too. Beyond that, are there any other good examples? Uh, I got away with it on Deadpool, but that's sort of because we went – he didn't raise her and also maybe he forgets about her whenever he doesn't see her for that long. So like maybe we don't have to put her in the comic very often if we don't want to. Uh, Like like I feel like you have to do some weird sidesteps. You have – I would say – again, and and I'm not saying that the stories are bad. Jessica Drew had a baby. Those stories are great. Those stories are great. I think that it makes her harder to use as a character, though, because now you're always thinking, well, what about baby? Yeah, where's her baby? She's going out and risking her life. What's up with her baby? Mm-hmm. Um, Do you think because she's, we'll say, a secondary character that it's easier to get away with? Well, yes and no. It's easier to get away with in the sense that she just doesn't have to be in comics. <laughs> Right. Back when, like a long time ago, at the end of X Factor, and again, this is a kind of a, kind of maybe it was a bad idea. At the end of X Factor, Peter David's run, which I, I edited at the very end of it. Um, That's great. That was a great book. Yeah, it was a wonderful book, uh, and I was happy to be part of it. So at the end of that that big run, uh, Madrox and Layla got married, and it was again it was super moving. Like I was really thrilled that, that we did that. It was really great, but like. The way that was okay was that we were just like, well, I guess now Madrox is not going to be any in any books. <laughs> and every once in a while, people would say to me, because I was still either on X books or or they just knew that I had done that. Like, when are you going to bring back Madrox and Layla? And I was like, and I, my answer was always, are you that eager to ruin their marriage? <laughs> <laughs> are you that keen to have someone ruin their marriage? And sure, sure enough, I was off the X books by this point. But sure enough, next time Madrox appeared was in Death of X where they killed him without even mentioning Layla. <laughs> yeah. And so we've done our best to kind of slightly untangle that. But even so, honestly, like, I don't know. Did I do the right thing by letting Peter get them married? It felt 
like the right thing to do at the time. It it was a great emotional thing. Did the buck stop with you on that? I don't. I don't know. I'm trying. I'm actually now that I'm said it. I'm, I'm trying to remember. Did they actually get married before that or not? I. I, I honestly, it's a little hazy. It's been a few years. Oh, um, I don't. I, I said the book is great, and I stand by that it was good. But I'd have a really hard time remembering anything about it. But that's just the churn. Yeah, like I know that. Yeah, exactly. I. I know that they went off together and were just like happy and retired at the end of it. Um. So I honestly, I can't a hundred percent remember if I got them married or if they got married when Daniel Ketchum was editing it before that. But um, did the buck stop with us? Uh, yes, because it wasn't like Spider-Man. You know what I mean? Like no, like people weren't looking over our shoulders to go like, you doing right by Madrox? Like it was, you know what I mean? We probably could have gotten away with a lot of things on X Factor. But the question is, do, do we want to and should we have? And Again, I don't know because it, it makes Madrox complicated to this day. Like it as up to his most recent uses in uh, X Corp, you know, the story ends up having his wife and then child in it. And it's like, have we complicated that character so that he no longer is the thing that people liked about him? Uh, and I don't know. And X-Men is a, a franchise with enough characters that you probably do have a little bit more wiggle room mm-hmm. to get experimental with it and go, eh, we'll do that with this character and see what happens. But it's tough, man. It's tough. Uh, you know, Jubilee, same thing. She had a, a child for a long time and she still technically does, although he turned into a dragon and decided to live with the fairies. And part of that is because, like, she was burdened with him and uh, before okay now that i've said that i need to do a side note and go guys i'm not saying childs are a burden in real life oh i'm burdened with my son she's not real the kid's not real (laughs) i'm saying as a character who is fictional her fictional character is now burdened with a complication to her story so that it is much harder to do fun mall stories when she's like, but also I have a baby or just just being committed to the X-Men full-time stories when it's like, also, I need to go home and take care of my baby. It fundamentally changes a character. Just Absolutely. Just like it does a person. And Absolutely. I will say, when you said it's a burden to the character, I, father of two, thought, you're damn right it is. <laughs> and so I'll say it. I'll be that person. But I was like, man, it does really change everything. She's- but, well, no, it does. But but I, the reason I, I said, say, gave that disclaimer is because Again, it's that it's that divide. It's that that moment between when I'm like, no, how dare you attack Peter's marriage? Him and Mary Jane love each other. You're trying to ruin their lives and going, oh, hold on. They are pieces of a story and I'm trying to achieve the best story possible. And I know that's a that 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 is a gap. That's not so. So there are times when, you know, I know that X fans are super passionate about these characters and they love these characters and that's good. That's what we want. Right. Um but then I'll talk about their char- a character in a way, and people will be like, "You're disrespecting that person," and it's like that's not a that's not a person. Like, and I'm not trying to disrespect them, but they're not a person. Like, they Wait. are a piece of something that I am. They're a piece of a puzzle that I'm working on. And, uh, and your livelihood <laughs> depends on those two things: the love of those characters, and then also the ability to do compelling things that make sense in the context and those things are at war with each other yeah and you're yeah. standing on that line basically justifying it's really interesting 
I mean, but I and also like, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm much at this point, I'm much farther into the making comics side of it than I am the fan side, which is not to say sure. I don't still love comics, but I just have made so many. So like, I kind of enjoy making characters miserable and i joke about it and and sometimes fans do not appreciate that that i joke about the fact that making characters miserable makes good comics um, well, i mean that's that's the the kill your babies that's the that there should be conflict and drama and therefore the fact that you want this character to be happy is the very reason why you're never quite gonna get it i can't remember are you are you a fan of uh you're you a friend of i mean of 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 pete lepage from comic book club I went to college with him and I knew him, but I haven't talked to him in a long time. But. So I, I used to be on comic book club pretty regularly and hang out with mm-hmm. those guys a lot more back before I had a kid. And um, Pete's the hugest Punisher fan. And I would, I would always love teasing him. So I would always bring up the comics he hates the most, but everybody, everybody does. That's practically the whole MO of the show comic book club. <laughs> them to the Justin and Alex teasing Pete. And so, but at one point I was saying to him, so hold on, hold on. Are you telling me you want to read the comic where Punisher goes, that's it. I've done it. They're punished. <laughs> uh, yeah. Crime is done. And now I can uh, retire and just be happy. And that's the rest of the series. You want to read that comic? And he was like, yes, I do. And I was like, you're, you're so wrong. You're so wrong. You don't. That would be the worst comic ever. You want to read the ones where he is having a terrible time of it. And he's like, no, I want him to be happy. Like he, he, well, he hated, you know, when he got turned into a Frankenstein or all these things like that. I wonder what he thinks of the current series. I haven't talked to him in a while, actually. I have no <laughs> idea. Death. No, it's fine. Um, tell me, uh, are there any creators or, or, or other editors, people you worked with who really influenced or affected the way that you thought about the medium? Oh, wow. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm sure there's many, but <laughs> yes, of course I'm going to go with the easy answer, which is Jonathan Hickman. Um, I'm going to do my best not to just sit here for like a half hour and talk about the fact that he's a genius, but he's a genius. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, working with him at was absolutely like revelatory. He's so smart and so good at what he does. Uh, and and what he does is so broad. Like he, he thinks about everything so thoroughly and so well he he's a, everybody knows he's a planner everybody knows that but he's also incredible at rolling with things and changing things and and just taking things as they come like so much so much has been made and i don't i don't want to get into the all of the nitpickiness of it but so much has been made about like oh he came in with a three-act plan and then marvel didn't do it like it's not like Marvel was like, no, Jonathan, we're not doing your plan. It's that Jonathan made comics and everything changed over time. Like he decided instead of doing this, I'll do this. And instead of doing this, I'll do this. And suddenly we were miles away from where that would make any sense to do. Mm-hmm. And that is because he's so he was being he was incredibly smart, but also so generous. Like he wanted to work really he wanted to work with all the other creators. He wanted to take what they were doing and make what they were doing work as well. Um, he, yeah, so, so much of how he looked at things and how uh, he approached things was 
hugely revelatory, uh, even so late in my career, uh, late in my career, but so far into my career, um, as, as I started working with him. So I still feel it to this day for sure, and I'm sure I will for a long time. He ruined you for everybody else? No, no. I, I mean, I, I still, I mean, I've worked with Jerry Duggan for over 10 years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I love, I mean, I'm sure I've learned a lot from him in doing it. I mean, that's the other thing about Marvel, right? Right. Is that there's no training at Marvel. <laughs> it's just, you have to do it all, all the time, constantly. And it's already late. Um, so it's all, it's all trial by fire. Uh, you know, you talk about like, you know, what did you, what have you like learned about the medium? And I, I like to spend a lot of time thinking about things. So I'm sure I have like done lots of musing about the industry, but there's not that much time to do that because most of the time it's just, you have to make the things. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, most of what I've learned, I've learned by making. And so to that end, I'm absolutely confident. I owe huge amounts to Jerry because I've made more comics with him than I've made with any other person. Mm-hmm. I assume I haven't actually done the math on that, but I, I can't imagine who else it could be. So let me bring up the question that everybody has asked you then. How do you describe your role as an editor? Um, I, I mean, I've sort of described it when I was talking about walking into worlds. I mean, the real, the, it's, it's the, the, the easiest way to describe being an editor is to make sure a comic is done and comes out when it needs to come out and that it's as high quality as possible when it does. Mm-hmm. And those two things are a bit at war. Uh, yes. But finding that balance is – it's the job. It's its a big, huge part of the job. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talk about our job internally and when we talk about – when we're talking about what we're doing, we are constantly using metaphors of juggling. <laughs> mm-hmm. Juggling and plate spinning constantly. And I'm, I wish I was joking. I would say like – at least once a day, probably, we are saying that because it'll be like talking about keeping balls in the air or keeping play spinning or dropping balls or whatnot. Um, there's so much going on at all times because when you look at what I do very linearly, it's relatively straightforward, right? I talk to a writer, say, I'd like you to write a comic. We talk about ideas. They go off. They write something. I give it to me. I give them notes back. We, we finalize it. We lock it. I take that. I give it to an artist. The artist starts drawing it. Either they pencil it or they ink it or both. I move it to the next person if, if someone else inks it. We take the inks. We give them to a colorist. The colorist colors them. We give it to a letterer. The letterer letters it. And then in, in the last week before it goes to press, we put those two things together, the colors and the letters. We do a bunch of notes on it there. We give it to the writer. They read it again and all these things, right? And we put the final touches on it and we send it off to the printer and then it's off to the comic shops. That's relatively straightforward. The problem is I have multiple series that I'm doing that for at the same time. And then even within a series, I have the book that's going to press this week which is doing the finishing touches. I have the book that's going to press next week, which is probably still in the inking phase. I have the book that's going to press the month after that, uh, which is maybe in the inking phase, maybe in the writing phase. So I am doing every single stage of that process at the exact same time every day. And I have to keep track of where each of those things are at all times. And that's, it's real tricky. (laughs) Do you, do you think that, um, I guess, like within Marvel, 
did most is that did most of the editorial jobs kind of work the same way and the reason that i ask this is because um i talked to will dennis for a really long time and he mm-hmm. um was uh you know but other he was the he was an editor at vertigo mm-hmm. and he described his job kind of differently in that he, he was sort of like a like a talent manager almost in a way to bring the pitch in whatever but sort of the day-to-day stuff that went with other people um at least is how, how he kind of described it and i mean at marvel does it you know if you're in the x-men shop are you running it basically the same way that it's being run in the avengers sort of store there are gonna be every editor is gonna have their own styles and mm-hmm. Uh, but like that general shape of what I just said, like mm-hmm. that's going to be the same, but like the exact how they do all those things and how they play those things is going to be different. I think you're, you're talking about Vertigo, like Vertigo was a place if sure. I, I never worked at Vertigo. I don't know. I, I didn't know anyone who worked at Vertigo other than, well, not when they worked at Vertigo anyway. Um, <laughs> like I knew Axel much later, obviously. Right. Um, but uh, like, I think that was a place where there was a lot more like, people bringing them pitches that it's like, oh, this is an idea someone had and now I want to help them make that idea. Like Marvel is a lot less like that in the sense that, well, first of all, everyone, like I said, everyone has a Spider-Man idea. So we're not, it's not like we're sitting around going, what are ideas for Spider-Man? Like <laughs> we're, we're covered, we're covered. Um, it's much more about like, we want to hire a writer who we think is good. And then once we've hired a writer, we might be like, well, and again, this is also different editors. We might be like, what kind of story would you want to tell for this character? Or we might be like, I really need somebody to tell a story like this. Can you do that? And they will go, sure, um, depending. I, li- I prefer the first method of picking a writer and going, what kind of story you want to tell? Mm-hmm. But sometimes you, you need to do the other thing. You need to go like, we have this. This is a story that's spinning off from that one, or it's essential that we do this. Or we just had a really good idea that somebody decided would make money. So you want to write that for us. Um, uh, in, in addition, right now, the X office runs a lot differently than any other office in that uh, right now we have like the closest knit group that we've had in my entire career well since since jonathan been there i mean like it's been pretty stable for a long time yeah like when jonathan came in he uh one of the things he said to me was like i want to set up an x-men slack so the writers can like communicate and talk about this you know this world Mm. we're setting up this krakoa and how it works and stuff and i was like yeah that sounds interesting like i i didn't use slack at the time so i was kind of like oh really and he was like well listen uh there's gonna be a Slack. <laughs> so do you want to be on it or not? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay, <laughs> I'll be on it. That sounds better than not being on it. So, mm-hmm. so I did that. And then I like, I love it now. Like I use, Slack, well, I mean, Marvel also uses Slack as yeah. well, but I, I, I use it a lot. Like I love it. Um, not everybody gravitates towards it, but um, I also love it. Yeah. It's, I think it's super, I don't know. It just is super easy to communicate with people. And anyway, the, all the writers, for the most part, not not 100%, but almost all the writers who have been on X-Books, like, like inline Krakoa continuity X-Books, has been on the X-Slack. And it has been like a little community there. Like we have worked closely. People, if if Jerry has a question for Teeny about what's going on with this thing, like he just pops it on there and Teeny explains it or, or whatnot over the course of all that. And in addition, there's like channels where we can just, you know, shoot the shit as well and, and talk about fun stuff. Um, and so it's it's very different. Like it was not even back when I was on the X books back in the day when uh, Wolverine and the X-Men and Uncanny X-Men were the two books. Like it was nothing like that. Everything was much more. The writers are writing the books and the editors 
can coordinate everything and like but there's we don't need the writers to all talk like every once in a while we would have a summit or something but it's like they not like they all had to be in constant communication um and i think it's great like i i kind of love it because i feel like everybody really cares about each other and what they're doing and what each other are doing and and like likes each other's books it's it's interesting cuz i was actually going to ask you if there's sort of a take on how you approach continuity because it's one of those things that of course readers like to sort of pick up and harp on and it's it's technically going to be your job to sort of make sure everything is kept straight but i mean how how do you think about that like how are you addre- addressing that or is i mean i having them all talk together on slack i was like that must be hugely helpful to keep things consistent but absolutely things change but like what's the discourse on continuity at this point well so continuity uh i mean i think the like there, there's no again there's no like hard and fast rules but like right. the 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 main uh idea of continuity that I think I think Tom Brevoort talks about in his like Marvel philosophy of comics when he does those those talks. It tends to be like it's not so much continuity as it is like consistency. Like you try mm-hmm. to try to be consistent about things, but at the end of the day, the story comes first, uh, and making a good comic comes first. Now, does that mean like if if it it's going to be much better if Spider-Man starts talking about his aunt Cleo. No, obviously he has an aunt May. Like they're like generally mm-hmm. like that's the consistency. Try to do it so it's like it all feels like it's the same world and it's the same thing and it keeps going, um, and it doesn't directly contradict. But also, we try not to get too hung up on things. Like we try to check on things and we try to be like uh, like for example. Um, Uh, let me think of one that we like has storm ever died and come back that was a question that came up uh, i don't know i don't remember when exactly maybe a year ago and i was like oh that's a great question uh and in the end we were like it's crazy that people at marvel didn't quite know and only because of the scope of how much there's been i was like i don't know geez there's a lot of comics there's a lot well uh, but also don't 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 I mean I don't Oh, I'm the, not the, saying it's a lot that of important. fans that know more than I know. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. Yes. No, I, I agree with that. I just I I think that I don't I want to just also like the idea of continuity I think is really fun and the inconsistency of that in in, in not in a, in an immaterial way. You know, so and so's wearing a different costume or whatever that makes you sort of look up, wait, isn't he supposed to be there? I love that. I think that the the no prize, the failure of those things to be completely aligned are what make it seem alive sometimes anyway yeah yeah no i mean like it you listen oh my god did something pop up that revealed that we haven't been making one story that was planned out since 80 something years ago oh my Mm -hmm. gosh like obviously obviously (laughs) we're all different people making different stories with different goals with different ideas and sometimes something is going to come up that is in direct contradiction with something that came out before for the most part we don't do that knowingly it most of the time if that happens it's a mistake um sometimes we'll write a story and we'll be totally gung-ho about it and then we'll find out like oh there's a thing that like totally undermines the entire idea of what you're saying Mm -hmm. and then we're stuck with a real 
dilemma. Like, is there a way to fudge this, to kind of go to use some sort of weasel language where we can nod at the previous version of this or the previous continuity? Like, yes, we understand that. We're just doing a different thing here. Um, and sometimes we can work that out. Um, for, for the most part, if there is a direct contradiction, that is what we try to do. We try to go, like, let's figure out a way to still tell the story we're trying to tell, but, like, nod to it. But even so, like, you know, comic books are convoluted, right? Like, every mm -hmm. time uh, Ben uh, Ben Grimm and, and his wife Alicia show up and talk to Johnny Storm, we don't have to go – Remember that time you thought you stole her from me and then she was like a scrawler, but you married her and then you, like all that. Like, no, we don't have to go into all that. Like we can fudge over that. We can kind of gloss over that until the story where it matters. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we'll bring it up. Um, in the end, I think I think Storm never died and came back, at least not in, not in a specific storm. It happened to Storm way. I mean, there's times when the entire universe died and came back. So literally oh, it has yeah. happened to her. But um I don't think there is. And now that I've said this on a podcast, people are going to be like, you idiot. You just live with that in the background of everything yeah. you do in life, huh? Well, I used to, and now I'm not on Twitter. <laughs> oh, that, oh, huge move. Excellent work. I left too. Um, all right. It's, it's, it's getting on in time and I could keep going forever. Um, cause this has been really fun. I'm going to ask you one more question and then maybe someday we'll, we'll come back and we'll, we'll continue. I think there's more things that we could talk about. Uh, what is it? that you believe that you bring to your job as an editor that is unique and valuable to the way that, that comics are being made. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. Without you, you. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I am, I, I'm extremely devoted to uh, making the book that the, the creators want to make. And I, I know, and again, like I, I said, sometimes you make, more creator-driven stories and sometimes you make more editorial or company-driven stories, right? But I am always, pretty much always, putting the creator side first. Even if I have a, uh, a, a like a more company-driven story that's like, here's what we have to accomplish. Like, I still am like, but how can you make it your own? Like, what can we do with this to make this yours? And then uh, to do my best to put aside even my own opinions and uh, try to help make their story work the best it can. And I, I don't know. I'm, now that I've said that, I feel like, oh, that's isn't that what all editors do? And the answer is, yeah, I guess. But I, I think no. I'm pretty good at it. I mean, at, I think that, that, that there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, I think that the bit was, you know, to put my own opinion aside. Now you have to have an opinion on, if something works or doesn't work or, you know, but I mean, is that to say like, I wouldn't do that, but I, that's what they believe. And I've hired you to do the job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, in, I mean, like uh, the, the easy thing I can point to on that is like, uh, like again, X-Men is a zillion characters. Right. And there are characters I like, and there are characters I don't like. Right. Mm -hmm. Or like less, let's say. Uh, but I don't, I try not to let that ever be what, guides like whether we're doing something or not like I, like there are all sorts of characters that i don't care for or didn't care for that writers do care for and they love them and so they're like i really want to use this character and i'll be like yeah all right uh, how is that going to work and then they can convince me to love a character because they write great stories with them that i 
well, that hadn't existed before, so I didn't read them. Um, you know, I, I really, I, I think I'm good at reading a script and understanding where they're trying to go with it um, and what they're trying to do, um, which I think helps me to, yeah, to go like, okay, here's how you can achieve that better rather than going like, nah, here's what you should do instead. <laughs> right. Great. All right. Let's leave this here for now. Uh, do you want to you want to want to plug your stuff and you talk about your podcast? You want to let people know? Oh yeah, sure, sure. So uh, I uh, I'm currently doing a podcast called Nature Trail to Hell. Uh, it's a horror movie podcast because I'm a big horror movie fan. Uh, the concept of it is uh, my co-host Stefan Lawrence. He we're watching movies that that mostly I have seen before or I've thought about a lot before. Uh, and movies that he's never seen. So we did the entire Friday the 13th series. We did the entire um, Texas Chainsaw series, which I hadn't seen all of before, only some of. And we're in the process of starting to record the the Purge series, which is another one that I adore for, for ridiculous reasons and have thought about way too much. Um, so, uh, yes, if you check that out, wherever podcasts are, Nature Trail to Hell, we go through every, every movie of those the, those first two seasons is up and we'll be doing the next one hopefully very soon. Awesome. I think that'll do. And now I should send you my pitches now or no, <laughs> that's how you break an ed- That's how you break an editor's heart. Um, no, that's all. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I really appreciate uh, the time and uh, this was fun. Yeah, it was super fun. And there you have another episode of iFanboys Talksplode, which is a lot of me talking to people, and then they talk back, and then afterwards they say, well, I talked a lot about myself. I said, that was the point. You can go to iFanboy.com. That happens a lot. You can go to iFanboy.com. You can find the other podcasts that we have available there. There's 104 other Talksplodes, uh, and then all the other shows that we do. I want to thank the iFanboy patrons at uh, patreon.com slash iFanboy for supporting the show, uh, for bringing this this show back, and make sure to listen in to our uh, regular weekly uh, comic review podcast, The Pick of the Week. That's all I have. Thank you very much. <laughs>